We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Pamela Slim is an author, business coach, and co-founder with her husband, Daryl, of the Main Street Learning Labs in Mesa, Arizona. Since 2005, Pam has advised thousands of entrepreneurs and companies and has partnered with authors like Susan Cain to build and launch The Quiet Revolution. Pam has three books, Escape from Cubicle Nation, Body of Work, and her latest, The Widest Net, named Best Marketing and Sales Book of 2021. Congratulations, Pam. Thank you so much. In addition to all of her incredible accomplishments, Pam has a black belt in MMA. What I appreciate most about you, Pam, is your inclusivity. Everything I've read and heard about you and from you is your deep-seated belief that we are better together and that we need each other. Welcome to ROG, Pam. I am so happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I look forward to learning more about you and from you and with you. So why don't we start with some highlights from your background, like where you're from or significant ingredients to the story that makes you, you. For sure. I grew up in San Anselmo, California, which is right across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco, for those familiar. And I think where I grew up was a a big important part of what I saw and what I learned that ended up shaping my body of work. My dad has always been a really big community building person. He's a photographer by trade, a gigantic introvert, which is what I learned in my work with Susan Cain. Uh, In fact, my entire family are introverts. My mom, dad, sister, brother, husband, and three kids. So it is, I am the only extrovert in a sea of beloved introverts. But what I saw in my dad in in the early days was somebody who was deeply passionate about the earth. He was involved. He actually created the first curbside recycling program in 1971 in San Anselmo, California. Fun fact. Now we take it for granted, but he was really involved in that. He actually was mayor of my town. And when I was five, there was a huge family disruption, as many people have experienced, where my parents split. My dad left. He split. So that was in the, in the path of life was one of those important experiences of like, things are not always the easiest. Um, And I I had the experience um, along with my siblings of supporting my mom as a single mom of starting to work really early. I started working when I was 12 um, to help out really to get Ditto's jeans. Anybody who's my age will understand the importance of that, (laughs) but (laughs) to have a a budget. But I just kind of, my my siblings and I, we all started working really early, had a passion for working. And my, my journey in the early days took me to international development. I was an exchange student in high school to Switzerland. I got excited by the world. I ended up going to a college focused on global studies where I lived in Mexico and Colombia and Brazil. Uh, got involved in martial arts and capoeira for 11 years, was a massive fanatic. So I had this really interesting journey of really exploring and understanding the world. And in the basic blocks, I think, the the main building blocks for me are getting passionate about training and development, realizing I didn't really want to be an expatriate aid worker for a lot of philosophical reasons, and then being passionate about just the human side of business change. I ended up going in a path of being a director of training and development at Barclays Global Investors, and then going on my own 25 years ago that has led me to this whole 
magical mystery tour of a combination of management consulting, growing and scaling businesses, and then entrepreneur coaching um, that's brought me here. So it's, it's been, sometimes I feel like the female version of Forrest Gump. Like my kids are like, what? You did what? <laughs> but it's been a very interesting life that I'm very thankful for. Oh, that's so beautiful. Wow. What a nutshell uh, for, there's so many things that I would love to learn more about and hopefully will in the future. Um, but I really appreciate that you were able to encapsulate all of that and to help us to understand some of your life experiences and that that versatility, right? You've had so many different environments that you've been a part of, which I'm sure informs your empathy for a lot of your clients and also just your understanding of how people work and how communities are built. And then your second book is around body of work, which is the way that I was referred to you, Pam, is, uh, you know, and Neen James, somebody that we both love, um, was talking with me about how important that book was and, and, you know, just what she thinks of it. And in the body of work, you talk about defining your roots and naming your ingredients and choosing your work mode and surfing the fear. So talk to us about the body of work and just what you wanted to share with the world when you wrote that. Yeah, as, as I'm describing the path of the books, it really is the journey that I take and walk with my clients and then also with the community at large. And what I mean by that is I was noticing and doing so much early stage startup work that I did for years and really helped to shape that early stage of how it is that we talk about people leaving corporate to start a business. I noticed that there became more of a trope that you are only creative and cool if you work for yourself and that entrepreneurship is the only path. There's a whole bunch of just, you know, if you sell out and work for the man, that you're a loser and all of these things where I was like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, who are you selling to? And first of all, if you're an entrepreneur who's growing your company, then who is working for you? Are they all suckers as well? It just didn't make any sense. There are plenty of people who are excited by what they do in different what I call work mode. So working in academia or corporate, whatever. So what I wanted to do, because I saw people moving among and between different work modes, is just have a framework for looking at your life and career in a way that would make things open and available. So it's not so much that either you go the corporate track or entrepreneurship, but you could move among and between. So in order to do that, it, the center of that model is really about centering what you are creating. And given a stage of life and what you want to bring forth, what do you need? And so that's things like your roots, what's, what moves you, what's important to you, what are your ingredients, what are all your skills, strengths, scars, everything you can bring to a particular part of your body of work. And then a really big part of that, when you are doing something, which I've seen people make the most like 90 point turns you can possibly imagine from going from being an engineer to opening up a bakery to, you know, being a doctor to becoming just a life coach. There are so many different ways I see people make a radical change. In order to do that, you have to really know how to tell the story about how your experience is really crafted for this work that you want to do. And so it's that, I, I call body of work the love letter to creation. It really centers what it is that you're building and being very deliberate about what you want to bring to life. And then everything else is secondary. Like, hey, I love working for myself. Probably never will go back. But it's not like there's anything magic about it. There's hard parts, just like there are hard parts of working for somebody else. Yes. And the way you're talking about moving between and through and, and that it's not linear or binary, it's, it's a flow. And you're saying it's personal. It's like 
discover and learn about what makes you, you, and how do you want to contribute some of those gifts to your professional life? And, you know, how, what are you learning from this work about yourself and what you really want? So you're, you're saying, like, give yourself permission to go where you believe you need to be. Not exactly. in any prescriptive way, right? Yeah, I would hear people feel shame. They might've tried to start a business and it didn't work or they thought they would love it and they didn't. And they would be slinking back, like, I'm so sorry, or how am I going to tell everybody? And I was like, are you kidding me? There's no need to apologize for that. It, it's totally fine. You test, try, you experiment. And the key is to find the, the fit for what you want to create in the given work mode at a period of time in your life. Because like an artist or a writer, we can have different things that are happening in our body of work. So it's not like you're committing to it for the rest of your life. It's just for this next phase, which for most people tends to be a three to five year window. Yes. And I think that that personalization and that clarity of what is unique about you, like what, it, what are some of the strengths and the gifts and the, like you're saying, the life experience that you could pull into something and say, you know, this is my body of work. It's, it, to me, it's like a, a eulogy in a way, if you think about it at the end of it all, it's like, this is what I stood for. This is what I did with what I was given. It's funny. I say that exact thing in the last chapter. It, when you think about it, the way I define body of work in the book is everything you create, you contribute, you affect, and you impact throughout the course of your life. So when you're at the last day, whenever that is, hopefully far in the future for all of us and our listeners, <laughs> then looking back, what do you see? And that can be relationships, things that you build. You might see books or products. You might see communities that are flourishing, leaders that you've really helped to cultivate. And it's, it's the whole thing. I think where we get in trouble is separating out sometimes who we are as a person, what we do with business. If I could count the time, especially as a female business owner of like, it's just business. Why are you taking it personally? Why do you care so much? You know, and I'm like, over time, I feel... <clears throat> a little bit, you know, like, yeah, I know what I was talking about because when you, when you come back to it, totally transactional business, not taken into consideration, human behavior and influence and psychology and trust and all these things we know are part of building a brand. It is actually really important to have that. And it's important for your quality of life to not feel like a totally fragmented person. Yes, <laughs> right? Yes, that it's all integrated, right? There's all of these pieces that we're trying to integrate together and not so much separate or balance or any other of the ways that we refer to this complexity, but more just like, how do they all work together? And how can it be an expression of myself? That's what I'm hearing you say around the body of work. And so how does The Widest Net, your your most recent book, build on the previous two, the cubicle nation and the body of work? It really is following the path of clients. So once people might leave corporate, they want to start a business, they're working for themselves, they then zero in on that work that they know they want to do. The question that every single person I ever talked to has is, where are my customers? Where are my clients? Where are my people? How do I do it? How do I get the word out? How do I build a business? And so that is uh, it really answering that question and knowing in the world today, it can be so overwhelming and complicated to know exactly how it is that you can be building a business is really what drove building the methodology for the widest net. What's neat about it to me, because each book isn't so important, 
it's like different kids, <laughs> each one. Yes. We have a fun fight yes. in our They're house. Part of you. My, my kids are always trying to trick me into saying which one is the favorite. And for the record, none is a favorite. They're all unique and important. But in, in the way that I think about the books for The Widest Net, it does absolutely sit on the broadest part of my, of my work because I, my degree in college was international service and development. I focus on grassroots economic change using non-formal education as a tool for social and economic change, like go figure. And so a lot of the models that I've been working with for years to build the online community for Escape from Cubicle Nation, where I was able to build a pretty large audience around the world around an idea, work that I did in San Francisco, building my Capoeira group, like walking the streets in the Mission District in San Francisco, building a 250 youth program work that I've done here in Mesa, a lot of it are really based on these principles of how you deliberately and strategically look at work through an audience through the lens of ecosystem. And so for me, it was really, you know, it was a joy to be codifying a a general way that I was working with clients, ways that I had always built my business, but to do it in a way that could be a repeatable, understandable methodology. And so it comes from deep experience, deep love, a lot of research, 23 city tour before I was writing the book, research projects, five years of being here at the learning lab. So definitely it's an, and seeing amazing, amazing um, results from the people who I have actually worked with who have made amazing recovery from in their business and, and really grown in an exponential way, which is super exciting. When we come back, Pam will share about the difference between ecosystem and empire culture. With years of experience, Moz Travels is a complete disability services consulting firm. We specialize in accessible travel and tourism. Working with governments, hoteliers and businesses, ministries of tourism and travel destinations around the world, we conduct accessibility compliance audits to ensure your place of business is accessible and inclusive for everyone. We'll teach you how to increase your tourism revenues and we'll train your staff how to recruit, hire and communicate with people who have a disability. Contact us at www.moztravels.com. That's M-A-A-H-S travels.com. And we're back with more from author, business coach, and co-founder of Main Street Learning Lab, Pamela Slim. I love how you're talking about this reference to the marketplace and these communities as an ecosystem. And I'd love for you to share some of the strategies and methodology with our listeners. Yeah. So an easy way to understand the ecosystem is to contrast it with empire culture, where in empire culture, we use that language in business. I want to build my empire. I want to center myself as the unique expert. In an ecosystem, we actually center our ideal customer. So whatever, whosoever person's problem we're trying to solve, for me, all day, every day, I'm trying to help my clients really grow their impact through their body of work, right? To grow, you know, use ideas, build programs um, in which they can be expanding their business and scale their business. So in order for them to do that, I actually am one of a part of a big ecosystem of other service providers, media hubs, experts companies that are building software and tools to help them do that. There are so many other people that they do turn to in order to meet their ultimate objective. And so part of what I'm saying is like the ecosystem already exists. It's a matter of us recognizing that it is there. And strategically, as a business coach for 25 years, it is easier, I think, instead of trying to pull everybody one by one from the internet into your business, to be going places in the ecosystem. I call them watering holes 
where somebody else wonderful has already taken the time to, to grow a community. It becomes something that is really has a lot of good mutual reciprocity. I find it to be more efficient, but it requires a strategic analysis first. In order to do it effectively, it's not just about scattering seeds everywhere. It's about doing a very specific analysis of where the best places in the ecosystem for you to build relationships. And that's really what the model of the book is based on. I would love to hear you say a little bit more about reciprocity. I know that's something that you deeply believe in and it's one of the, I would say, core tenets of this whole strategy. Yeah, that I think really goes to the to the heart of the values component. Really the first third of the model of the book is really looking at what is this foundation you need to have in order to understand how to operate. And as a core value, and this comes right back to belief that I have about how change happens, how business happens, and very directly the way I work with my clients, it has to be a partnership. There's a way as a coach that I can have undue influence on my clients where I can say, hey, I've been around the block. I work with these fancy people. I know what's right for you. Let me just tell you what it is that you should be doing. And to me, that's not really upholding my responsibility to be helping my clients to develop their leadership capacity, to be better, stronger, more capable, sharing ideas, but also getting that pushback from them saying, no, actually, this is what I believe. And I know that worked for another client, but this is really what I want for myself. And so having reciprocity, recognizing that everybody has a valid part of the equation is really important. Mm. Oh, so well said. Thank you for sharing that with us. And for us to consider you know, how are we contributing to our reciprocity rings? And what are those watering holes that we are already a part of and which ones would be the best use of our time and energy, right? You're saying be really thoughtful about where you're investing your time and talent so that you're surrounding yourself with or giving yourself access to or even supporting individuals who are in a similar kind of a ecosystem. Is that true? That's that's right. So it, it can be some concrete examples. I, I often think of, they just started South by Southwest again, which is a big conference in Austin, Texas. Back in the day uh, when, when I used to go, there was the Bloggers Lounge, which was one spot where there were so many people at that time who were blogging, there were sponsors, there were all these interesting people. You could literally just walk in that one room and you could have access to so many amazing people right there. That's an example within a conference of a watering hole. Of if you're going to spend any time Spend it sitting in that room where you're more likely to see somebody walk on by. The other thing could be something like a deliberate podcast I, or, or a blog. Way in the early days um, with Guy Kawasaki, one of the real breaks for me as a blogger was when he shared something, a post that I had written uh, called An Open Letter to CEOs Across the Corporate World. And I'd actually emailed him. I'd never met him before. I thought he might be interested in it. He ended up posting it the next day. And Actually, I give him credit um, that he was the one that really made me like viscerally aware of watering holes because at that time, this was in, I think, 2006, his blog was a literal watering hole for people who are passionate about Apple and evangelism, you know, in business and entrepreneurship and social good. And my whole entire world was opened up once he just shared one of my posts when people found it. So there are, there are interesting ways for you to look at it. And What's important, just going back to for folks who might um, not necessarily have a larger wingspan in terms of you know managing tons and tons of different contacts, strategically, 
you could be doing your regular marketing activities, but maybe do some analysis and find one or two places where you might start to do a little bit of development. And, you know, one good example is often, you know, like an association, you might have a client sector that fits with an association and you could begin to do some little tiny drips of making connections. Some associations have local chapters and national ones and just beginning to expand the way that you do it can start to make a big difference. Mm. So much of what you just said, Pam. Thank you for that. One of the things I want to double back on is Guy Kawasaki and how he has the brand of being so many things, but one of them is a generous leader. Like he's somebody who I think of when I associate generosity at work, generous leadership. You're a generous leader. I mean, between your blog and your books and your TED Talk and all of the things that you do to try to share with the world the things that you've been learning. I mean, what are some of the ways that you have experienced generosity in your own career? You've just shared this about Guy Kawasaki. Uh, What are other examples of generosity in your career? I've had amazing mentors. Even when I was in my corporate life, I had really amazing um, leaders, which I know is rare. It's probably why I liked corporate life so much. Um, Barb Sanner and Chris Billiter were just amazing, amazing mentors that taught me so much. I have experienced the generosity of, and especially work that I've done a lot here locally in inclusive community building, of folks that come from different backgrounds, different communities that really open up their lives, their heart in order to build relationships. And to me, it's such a precious gift to be able to know so many different people from different backgrounds. My husband is Navajo and um, I love the kind of relationship that I get to have with my in-laws, with so many relatives that we know whenever there's a deep, complex historical relationship between like my relatives and as or you know colonizers and you know folks in Native Americans that have had their land taken, you can totally understand. I totally understand how there can be animosity based on like historical legacy of the way that patterns of treatment have happened. And so in order to be working through that, acknowledging it, understanding it, and also building a strong, loving relationship to me is like, it requires so much trust. And it's something I just appreciate so much um, and really lean into. And that happens with not only my husband's relatives and community, but many other communities as well. Mm. And could you just tell us more about that, Pam? Because that, that, that is a community that I think we all need. Well, I'll speak for myself. That is a community I would like to know more about and just how to be more compassionate and empathetic about the history of how the U.S. became what it is. I mean, that's a big question, but I'm just curious to know, like, what are some of the the key things that you've learned through your journey, through your husband and his family that 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 you could share with our listeners? Yeah, I think there's part of it is, and we know we're in a, a huge, like, point in our country where there's all kinds of controversy in terms of how history is taught or what is taught, you know, to me, just being straightforward, even if we're just mentioning the facts (laughs) of what happened, um, it's really important for people to recognize just what exactly happened historically, what was, what was the impact on Native people for things like Manifest Destiny that I remember learning about as a kid where we had, you know, millions and millions and millions of people who were killed uh, murdered in genocide, who died through you know sickness and disease. It's obviously a, a huge, grim part of our story, but it's so important to recognize some of the truths of what's happening. I think a lot of our relatives up north in Canada, with all the things we've begun to see too, with residential schools and you know some of the history that has come from that, 
has been so important in my journey of just recognizing what was I not taught about the lived experience of the history. And with that, then you can understand a context for, you know, what's currently happening. Yes. Oh, thank you for that. And I will ask you for some more detail and I'll do my own research and include it in the show notes for people that are also curious to learn more and to understand the history. Um, Because in 2016, you launched the Main Street Learning Lab, and you're really intentional about creating a community that was inclusive. I read somewhere on one of your marketing materials that you were asking this question, how can I create a program led by the community for the community that's truly inclusive and equitable? That was like the curiosity question that that it sounds like led you to the Main Street Learning Lab. Can you tell us about that and and what you've learned through that experience? Sure. It's a beautiful space. It's super creative. We love it when people walk in and they're like, oh my God, I just feel so good here. I'm just inspired to think about what I want to do. And that really is the core of what it is that we built here is a place where by day, it's my office and my husband's office. Evenings and the weekends, we have all kinds of events that are really led by and for the community. And I could tell you a million stories about ways in which that ended up spurring people opening up their own physical spaces and, you know, getting access to different opportunities and meeting each other and collaborating. So it's been a truly joyful journey. Oh, I love it. And I feel that energy and just the the picture on your website of the community there, it to me is just, it just brought me joy. So your your life mantra or your motto is we all need each other. And I think that it is so reflective in so many of the different things that you do, the body of work that you've created, the the person that you are. So tell me a little bit more about we all need each other. It's such a good principle where I think depending on where you are in life and what you're doing. There can be such a pressure to have it all together, to think that you need to figure everything out yourself. A lot of folks I work with can have that sense of overwhelm. I should know better. Why can't I figure it out? And at so many different points in how it is that we live and we do our work, we literally do need each other. (laughs) It is impossible to know everything there is to know about building a business. It's impossible to live a life. I'm a parent, so possible to live a life as a parent without having connection and relationship with other people around you. It, it, we, we had the other day a pipe break in our house and our neighbor next door, who's so wonderful, came over. He knows how to weld. Like he was immediately there helping us out. You know, at different times, we've been able to help him out. When you begin to recognize and normalize the fact that it is impossible to do everything yourself and it's a burden that you're taking on unnecessarily, it actually creates a great feeling of ease and joy. So that's where you have this reciprocity and this generosity where people are just helping each other out. And it means you have a better, stronger, happier life, which is to me what, what matters. Yes. I mean, what the ultimate payoff, right? So it's like, this all works together. I, I so appreciate your encouragement and your modeling of these principles that I so deeply believe in. So thank you for investing your precious time with us today, Pam, and for all of the ways that you make a contribution in this world. I will make sure I put links in the show notes. For those listening only by audio, where can people find you, Pam? You can find me at PamelaSlim.com. Perfect. It's all there <laughs> on PamelaSlim.com. Thank you again for investing your time with us. Thanks for having me. ROG takeaway tip. 
how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Let's explore some of the ideas that Pam shared that we could apply to our lives right now. Here are some deep questions for us to contemplate and consider. What are your core values? The core beliefs that you have about what matters most, what are they? What are your ingredients, your skills, experiences, perspectives, hidden talents? How can you leverage them? What makes you uniquely positioned in your organization or in your market? What are you creating? Like, what are you investing in that will last long beyond your tenure? How can you center yourself on what you're creating? What do you need to make that creation work, to get exposure for it, or maybe to improve it? What's the work you want to do, the work that you really desire? You know, we often hear about customer focus, like who are your customers? Well, who are your customers? And who's already in your network? And what ecosystem, aka watering holes, already exists that you might want to join? What impact do you want to make? When we think about impact, our minds often go into the future. But let's not forget about what we've contributed already. Looking back, what do you see? What relationships have you invested in? Think about what you've built, leaders that you've helped. Intentionally choose not to separate what you do in business from who you are as a person. The transactions come and go and they're not relevant, but what matters most are the ways that we purposefully bring our full selves, our values, our ingredients, our creations, desires, all of it into the work that we do for a mission greater than ourselves. Looking forward into the future, What do you want to be known for? What impact do you want to make? How can you start now? Join us next week with Ron Tite. Until then, stay collaborative and generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.